0: And if a man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet, as he ought to know. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 2 Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Today, we are resuming our study in 1 Corinthians, and we're ready for chapters 8 and 9 this morning. Now, chapter 8 and 9 both deal, well, chapter 8 to start with deals with this danger of having a high conceit of being proud, being arrogant about one's Perceived knowledge. You've heard me uh, quote that verse a billion times probably on this podcast. If a man think he knows anything, he knows nothing yet that he ought to know. know. And one of Paul's frustrations is, and, and this is what's incredible. One of his frustrations is arrogance and pride of knowledge from the Corinthian people. This is a church that Paul himself planted, and suddenly these people are wiser than he. Over the years, uh, I've encountered this multiple times, where someone will be, and usually it's a new believer will be asking me some very general, very basic theological questions, and I'll be answering them, which I'm happy to do, and kind of guiding them, into basic doctrine and basic truth. I'll see them a few weeks later, a few months later. We'll begin having conversations, and all of the sudden, they're argumentative. They'll argue with me about things, and they—it's like all of a sudden they know they're all of a sudden they're a scholar. All of a sudden, they know more than me, and it's frustrating. Not that, we're, not that we're having a debate about who knows what. It's just like all of a sudden you want to argue about everything. It's like, whoa, just a few weeks ago, you needed help with just very the very basics, the, the milk of Scripture. And there's a lot of areas where I run into this. I especially run into it when we're talking about Hebrew. I'm not going to get into that much right now, but it, it just astounds me. Paul's running into the same issues. So he's going to talk about that a little bit, and then I'm going to read some commentary from Matthew Henry on that as well. And uh, Paul's also going to address an issue that, he's addressed, that he addressed a lot in the book of Romans, which is this issue of don't do things that would cause your fellow brother or sister in Christ to stumble. Like, there's some things that, yeah, you have the liberty and the freedom to do um, in moderation and things. Wine is a good example. But if you have a friend who struggles with drunkenness, who struggles with an addiction, it'd probably be a good idea not to drink wine around them, right? You're going to cause them to fall back into old sinful habits. And so that's kind of what Paul is dealing with. Um, he's but the main th- the one that he's arguing about has to do with food and sac- food sacrifice to idols and and things of that issue. So that's kind of what's going on in chapters eight and nine. And I think you'll be blessed by this study this morning. So let's open up our hearts and let's lay down pride and arrogance and. Uh, <laughs> The arrogance and pride and the conceit of knowledge, and let's let God's word speak to us and change us. So let's do that this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's begin. Verse 1. Now. Concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Alright, so right there is what we just had a short conversation with to open up the show. Let me give you just a little bit of commentary from Matthew Henry about this knowledge um, or arrogance of knowledge. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. Matthew Henry says this. He says, There is no proof of ignorance more common than conceit of knowledge. Let me read that again. There is no proof of ignorance more common than than conceit of knowledge. Much may be known when nothing is known to good purpose, and those who think they know anything and grow vain thereon are the least likely to make good use of their knowledge. Satan hurts some as much by tempting them to be proud of mental powers as others by alluring to sensuality. Knowledge which puffs up the possessor and renders him confident is a dangerous as dangerous as self righteous pride. Though what he knows may be right. Without holy affections, all human knowledge is worthless. Without holy affections, all human knowledge is worthless. That's brilliant commentary, by the way, by Matthew Henry. Brilliant. All right, let's continue on. Verse four, therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things, and we exist for him and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things, and we exist through him. So please note, he's he's like, as far as saying sacrifice to idols, we know that there's not actually gods, there's one God. Okay, he's kind of saying that to make that point. But then he's going to admit, there is little g gods, right? He's like, like, he says, for even if there are so-called gods... Whether in heaven or on earth. As indeed there are many gods. What's he, what's he talking about? He's talking about how some gods, you know, are fake. But some are manifestations of demons. And things of that nature. Fallen angels. Those kinds of things. They, they exist. But they're not God in the sense that God is God. Now, that's, that's the point. Verse 7. However, not all men have this knowledge. But some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block. To the weak, for if someone sees you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? So I used uh, as an example I used wine or any type of alcohol or I mean we the list could go on. you just pick one thing that's not really a sin unless it's abused. But then, for some people, it would be sin because they have an addiction to it. And you're causing them to stumble. And you're causing them to fall back into sinful behaviors. When you do that, you yourself are sinning, is, what Paul's, is the point that Paul is making. For through your knowledge, verse 11, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. So that's chapter 8. Pretty simple. Let's go into chapter 9 here. It's just a continuation of this conversation, but it gets a little different. Verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So Paul's setting the stage here. He's saying, am I not an apostle? Have I not literally seen Christ? Are you not, you Corinthian church, are you not like the work of my hands verse 3. My defense to those who examine me is this. Here's the thing. This is what I was getting at in the beginning. It's like Paul has committed his whole life to this. He's set up the church. He's writing to a church that he established. He has seen Christ and heard his voice audibly on the road to Damascus. And then now all of a sudden these Corinthians are wise in their own eyes they're puffed up and they dare examine Paul back to the scriptures verse 3 my defense to those who examine me is this do we not have a right to eat and drink do we not have a right to take along a believing wife even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord at Cephas Of the Lord Ancaphas? Or do not only Barnabas and I have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends to a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for your sakes? Yes, for our sakes, as it is written, Because the plowman ought to plow in hope, And the thresher ought to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, Is it too much if we reap material things from you? What's he getting at? He's saying the, the, the worker ought to be compensated for the work. He's saying, I pour my life into you, ministering to you, spiritually tending to you. Is it so much to ask that you would support me? That's what he's saying. Verse 12, if others share the right over you, Do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use the right. But we endure all things, so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacrifice services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel but I have used none of these things and I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one for if I preach the gospel I have nothing to boast of for I am under compulsion for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, in in no way, shape, or form, do I compare myself to Paul. But I will say that the podcast and the work that I've been doing for the last decade has not really been an option. <laughs> it's it's a compelling. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, I'm not like choosing to do this. I can't not do it. I'm compelled to do it by the Spirit of God. And he's saying, if I, if I don't do what the Spirit of God is compelling me to do, then I'm cursed, right? That's what he means when he says, woe is me. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast for, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Verse 17, for if I do this voluntarily... I have a reward, but if against my will I have stewardship entrusted to me, what then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. He's saying, even though I have the right to ask to be paid or to be sustained or to be lifted up, he's like, I'm, I, do, I preach the gospel anyways. without charge. And there, my friends, is why I don't have paywalls. People can support the, the ministry of work, but in no way do I want it to not be obtainable through a paywall. And when I see that, nothing frustrates me more. Nothing frustrates me more than I have this great teaching from the Lord. If you want to watch this video, pay me $10. Or I have this great mystery that I solved about end-time prophecy. And for $199, you can learn the mystery too. I hate that. I hate it. It's like, provide the gospel and the truth to the people. And if they want to support you, they will. That's a separate rant. Verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that i might win more to the jews i become as a jew so that i might win jews to those who are under the law as under the law though not being myself under the law so that i might m- might win those who are under the law to those who are without the law as without the law though not being without the law of god but under the law of christ so that i might win those who are without the law to the weak i become weak that i might win the weak I have become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I, might become, I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul saying, I'm going to connect with whoever it is. I'm going to find a way to connect with them I'm going to become all things to all people so that I might win some for Christ. Verse 24, we're almost finished here. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who completes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And that is how chapter 9 ends, but let's deal with that last little bit because... It speaks to me personally. I've spoken to to many of you over the podcast about how I'm a runner and, you know, still do those things. 41 years old, still competing at a pretty decent level, still training my body all the time, still watching what I eat all the time. That's the point that Paul's making. He's saying, like, those who participate in those sort of things, they have to be disciplined in all areas in order to be competitive. They have to watch what they eat. They have to train their bodies on a daily basis. They have to get proper sleep. Like there's a lot that goes into it to be successful. He's saying, and they do that like they train and discipline themselves to win a medal that's perishable. It's like who cares? What is it? It's worthless, right? He said that, but he's saying that ought to be our attitude about the things of God. Like we, ought to take our, we ought to take salvation and our relationship with God and the kingdom of God and winning souls for God as that serious, where we're extremely disciplined, where everything about our day revolves around that, just like, an everyth- just like it does for an athlete about their craft. He said, therefore, I run in such a way as to not without aim. In other words, there's a purpose to what I'm doing. He's saying I box, not like beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. Why? So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In other words, he doesn't want to be a hypocrite. Well, there you have it, my friends. I hope that you've been blessed this morning and strengthened and edified, challenged. And I pray that the Word of God has pierced your hearts this morning and caused you to draw ever more closely to Him. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. It's definitely not required. I'm going to do this anyway because I'm compelled to do it, Lord willing. But if you're able and you're being fed spiritually through this podcast, please consider supporting the work. Thank you for your prayers, which is just as good as financial support. Thank you for all you do. And thank you for helping me make this possible. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.